Welcome to the Urban Wine Club podcast. Pour a glass, sit back, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another segment of our series, Vines Unknown, where we explore areas around the world that are not so familiar, and we discover them together here on our segment. In this segment, we're exploring Armenia, an area that has been interest of myself and others dear to my heart because I grew up with quite a bit of Armenians, even though I'm Greek. And uh, before I do continue, let me also introduce myself. As Ari has said, I'm going to be your host this, uh, this evening. I'm Fotistamos, and along with me, my co-host, Ari Kalos. Hello. Right. And uh, we have uh, a very special guest with us who's going to basically give us everything we need to know about Armenia's wine culture. We're going to taste wines together as a group. Uh, let me introduce our guest. Uh, we have with us from Storica Wines, Mr. Ara Sarkisian. Please forgive me if I cannot <laughs> pronounce it correctly. You did better than I expected. <laughs> so, Ara, welcome to the Great segment. Great to be here. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your busy schedule to be with us. I know you got your hands full. You just finished the webinar right before this, and you're jumping into it with us here. So thank you so much for doing so. Happy to be here. And uh, this has been a very anticipated segment, I have to say. Um, our whole concept with Vines Unknown was basically, you know, we're always uh, learning about the same regions over and over through time, obviously. But there's so many other areas around the world that need to be discovered that produce wine in a, in a way that I think needs credibility, needs uh, a forum, needs a voice. And uh, I met the team from uh, Storica not too long ago, maybe about six months ago. And I was taken away uh, from the quality, the story, and the history. And as Greeks, we tend to be very proud of who we are. And we thought for a long time that Greece has such a long uh, history of winemaking. But I think Armenia has an even longer recorded history of winemaking, for that matter. So I think this is going to be an interesting, fun segment. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Armenia's wine culture. We're going to talk a little bit about the creation of Storica wines. And we're going to taste some of the Armenian wines that you represent together here on this segment. Excellent. Uh, and we also want to thank all the guests that are joining us uh, this evening on a Thursday night um, to participate and listen. And hopefully you know, this experience will give you a little more uh, about uh, Armenian wines than before. And, uh, and Ari is going to basically also let us know at some point uh, we're going to let our guests uh, ask questions uh, through the last segment of our presentation here. Yep, I typed it into the chat, but uh, now since I'm speaking, uh, anybody who has any questions, please please feel free to type it into the chat. We're going to get to it a little bit later on in the segment. And, um, and, and yeah, and, and anytime a question comes to you, just type it right in and we'll get to all of them. So, Ara, let's, let's kind of... Uh kick off with give us a little bit about uh, what our audience can know about Armenia's wine culture to begin with. Okay so the thing that's fascinating about Armenia and the general uh, part of the world where Armenia is is that most ampelographers and these ampelographers are people who study uh, grapevines and the history of grapevines how grapevines grow and what species of grapevines are related to which ones etc they all seem to agree that the domestication of the grapevine happened essentially where Armenia is today and slightly more to the west and to the north of it. So there's this triangle somewhere between 
today's Republic of Georgia, today's Republic of Armenia, and what is today sort of far eastern and northern Turkey. That triangle is the real home of where the domestication of the grapevine happens. So forget about wine in general. Right. Just grapevines, even grapes that you eat, come from this part of the world. Uh, it's it's on a lot of the sort of historical uh, archaeology. A lot of if you see ruined temples and if you see ancient manuscripts, most of them are adorned by grapevines at the bottom, on the top, on the sides. So it's really part and parcel of the old rituals of this of the world. And eventually, obviously, people figured out that grapevines not only give grapes that are delicious, but they also make you feel happy if they ferment. Ah. So, so the first uh, sort of rudiments of winemaking are also thought to originate from this part of the world. Very fascinating and interestingly enough, it's only in the past 20 or 30 years that scientists are sort of unearthing caves and remnants of very, very ancient uh, winemaking. The oldest one currently that they found is actually in the Republic of Armenia, in the region which uh, some of the wines we'll be tasting uh, comes from. So I'll make a note of that. So, so it's a really fascinating place to begin with as when it comes to grapes. Can you give us a timeline? How many years are we talking about? Uh, making wine. So so this the winery itself that's considered to be the oldest winery in the world to have been uh, explored is approximately 6,200 years ago. 6,200 oh years ago. Wow. Yeah, so 4,000 BC. That's amazing. We're talking before, before the world as we knew it. So this is really, really long time ago. Have the, has, there any, has there been any type of studies of trying to uh, do any genetic test, testings on different grapes that have originated from, from Armenia that have kind of overlapped into other wine-producing regions? Are there any grapes that have kind of transpired to something else as a hybrid somewhere else? Right. So that kind of work is just beginning because, okay. as you know, DNA as a science is just so recent. So what they can do is they can relate grapes one or two generations, but not beyond that quite often. So when it comes to Armenian grape, Mr. Vuyamos, who's the world's leading sort of authority in DNA, right. a Spanish fellow, he is he has started a project to do that, but apparently it takes a long time. Got so it. it hasn't yet been established whether some of these ancient varieties in Armenia are in fact the forefathers of, say, Pinot Noir or whatever it may be. But it could very well be one day we'll find out that some Greek grape we think is Greek or uh, French. French? May have, yes, French, yes. <laughs> Sorry right? for all my French friends. Uh, uh, may have ori- originated in that part of the world, yes. But there's nothing definitive yet. But what they have uh, clarified is that some of the grape varieties that currently grow in Armenia were actually vinified in that cave we're talking about. So some of the remnants of they found, they've yep. done DNA analysis on and shown that this is essentially the same grapes that are grown. So what we have is continuity, but what we don't have is how those original grapes relate to grapes in the rest. But what everyone does agree on is that the grapevine itself, regardless of wine, moved to Europe and moved to the Middle East from this Part of the world. Okay. So one way or another, they're all all the answers. Got it. How about can you can you tell us what makes Armenia an ideal area for grape growing? What is it about the climate, the soil? Can you just give us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Yeah. And while I'm doing that, maybe I'll turn on my little thing here, my little presentation, just so you know, less words and more pictures is always more. <laughs> I think. Okay. So, but I haven't shared my screen yet. One second. Sip while you're doing. 
one participant can share at a time. So is someone else sharing a screen? Can we all see that? Yep. Right. Here we go. Okay, so that's visible, right? All right, so your question is, what makes Armenia a sort of ideal place? Well, um, to be honest, I don't know if it's any more ideal than any other place, but what it is, is it's a special place and a unique sort of combination of soil, climate, and uh, grape variety. Um, so when we look at this, the first thing you see is, can you see my cursor? I'm not sure. Can yes, you see yes, my mouse? we yeah. can. So the region here that's sort of greenish or light yeah. green is the lowest elevation in Armenia. That is the flattest and lowest elevation. Like the valley? That's the lowest valley there is and the flattest. That is approximately 500 meters above sea level. Okay. Keep that in You mentioned I was doing a, another presentation before I got on here, right? Yeah. That was about Piedmont in Italy. And we were, this is the wine that people were talking. It's a Spana, it's a Nebbiolo, right? It has nothing to do with Armenia, I'm making a point. So <laughs> you know what the big deal about this wine is? Oh, that it comes from really high elevation of 400 meters. It's right? the, uh, the the Italian way of marketing. It's the Italian way of marketing. That's right. Oh, this wine has such profound flavor because it comes from the foothills of the Alps all the way up there at 400 meters. In Armenia, the lowest elevation is 500, right? Not that this is a competition and high elevation necessarily mean better wine or better grapes. But if it was, but you if, won. If it was, we definitely <laughs> win. Yes, you're right. Yeah. Um, so, but the point is, uh, one of the characteristics of Armenia is high elevation viticulture. And what that really means is lots and lots of sunshine because you're so high up that yeah. even if you get a little rain, a little bit of clouds, some of the clouds are underneath you when you're picking grapes. They're not wow. above you, right? You're above the cloud line. You hear a lot of talk about being above the cloud, cloud line when you talk about the sort of mountainous regions of Napa Valley, Howell Mountain, Veter Mountain. These are all at six, seven hundred meters, and they're considered high elevation, right? In Armenia, the lowest elevation flatland, where we consider sort of cheaper wines to come from, is about that elevation. Mm. So everything from there on goes up. The brown bits are the highest elevation. That's a mountain right there. And this is a mountain, and this is Vyotsor, the region that we're going to talk about mostly. So high elevation is one of the things. If you look at the map on the right and match it to the elevations, you see these regions, Arakatsotin and Armavir, to the west of the capital Yerevan, to the south is the Ararat Valley, which is sort of the flatland, as you can the green. Mm. Vyotzor is the sort of uh, quality and smaller production winemaking center of Armenia, where mm. we're in really, really high elevation. Here we're above a thousand meters above sea level. So you get wow. very, very cold nights and you get super hot days. Mm. And so you get lots of sunshine to, to drive uh, alcohol development, right? Mm. You get lots of heat to develop sort of ripeness in terms of flavor and tannin. And you get very cold nights, which keeps the grapes very fresh and retains the acidity and doesn't allow the grapes to keep ripening overnight. So the grapes throughout the day are ripening, then at night they stop, then they start again the next day, and then they stop at night. So this gives them a lot of freshness. I'm sure you've had mountain wines from northern Greece, yeah. which aren't quite this high up, but you probably sense that sort of freshness in those wines also. Yeah, that's a very that's good one thing is the elevation. The other thing are the grape varieties themselves, which are pretty ancient and have been planted there for you know hundreds, some thousands of years, um, and the soil. So most of Armenia has volcanic soil. Uh, some of it's interspersed with clay and limestone. And that combination of the three gives you uh, ripeness, sort of full-bodied wines. It also gives you clarity of flavor from the limestone, um, and you get a lot of minerality and sort of brightness from. So, is yeah. there a, is there an active volcano in Armenia? 
I don't think it's active. No, no. Uh, Arakats is, uh, I think they're all sort of, they've done their bits and they've spewn their lava and they're done. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I mean, I don't know if volcanoes can come back to life a million years later. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think they do. Right? Anything's possible in the times we live in. Right. So, so, 2020, yes. Yeah, maybe some other time. We'll see if they were. <laughs> interesting, interesting. But anyway, we kind of went through this. And the thing to remember is sort of no when no, and then he went down into the valley and planted. So he couldn't have gone to the other side of the mountain because that's not a grapevine sort of ancestral roots are according to templographer we know he came to the eastern if he ever existed the story and that would have happened here in these fields where you're on the right so it's part of the sort of mythology and the ritual of living in this part of the globe to believe that you know we live under the mountain where noah landed and mm. live in the area where he first planted so it's really ingrained in the according to history uh, the babylonians uh, bought wine from ancient armenians that were put in wooden barrels and shipped down the river. Um, and uh, Herodotus, uh, one of the major historians of Greece, I'm mm-hmm. sure you learned those classes in school, unless oh, yeah. you skipped class, oh, yeah. you might have done. <laughs> uh, he has made lots of mention of the wines of Armenia along with the, with the horses of Armenia. Actually, Greeks used to buy horses for military use, apparently, from Armenians. Oh. Uh, and when, when he was there, he wrote... Uh, quite a bit about Armenian wines and winemaking. Let's say Strabo, by the way. How do you say Strabo in Greek? Honestly, that's the first time I've seen Yeah, that. I've, I've never heard the same. And if I you if you pronounce the B in the correct Greek, it would be Stravo, but Stravo means crooked. <laughs> so I don't know if that's true or not. It means what? Strabo? Crooked. Yeah, Strabo, that's the Anglicized version of the name. You should look that up. I'm not yeah. sure what Greek name is, but he's a fairly well-known Anyway, so this is the 6,100-year-old cave that I was wow. showing you. You know, this is the sort of the entrance there. And this is the inside where there are sort of uh, these pots and these holes. What they found is a press to, to press grapes My God, from way back then. Yeah. And they've done analyses which show uh, the way you prove that uh, whatever resulting sort of fragments of fruit are grapes is you identify tartaric acid, which is unique the grapes. So they found remnants of tartaric acid, which is how archaeologists uh, sort of prove that these were grapes and not pumpkins. And there's sort of, yeah, yeah, there you can see here on the top left, another view of those. And in these other pictures, I'm just showing you historically, this is the karas, the equivalent of the quevery that the Georgians use. Um, These kind of clay devices are also found in Sicily and other parts of Southern Europe. But in the Armenian tradition, they're sort of half Georgian and half European in that uh, they're half buried in the ground. They're not entirely underground and they're not entirely above ground. Two thirds of them are buried into the ground and one third is left uh, above ground. This is Garmit Balur, which is just uh, southeast of the capital of Yerevan, where they found approximately 400 of and they have cuneiform inscriptions on them stating the dates of the harvest, how many sort of uh, grapes were uh, harvested that year, each year, and how much wine and how many karasas they filled. So there was documentation to show that this was an organized sort of attempt to, to make wine on a commercial scale, bottle it, document it in cuneiform by, you know, taking a, a rock and really sort of... That's, that's, that's absolutely amazing. Crazy stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can go visit that. And it's, the amazing thing is there's no gate. You can just walk in there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Free admission. 
Has anyone, ever attempted, has anyone ever attempted to like steal any of these like precious? Honey, you asked that. So the next picture will probably show you a, an attempt at stealing oh one. Of them. <laughs> 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 That's funny. Grandfather, right? Exactly. Yeah, we did not rehearse that. People, he asked the question, and the next slide happened to show. It. <laughs> this is a guy trying to steal a cross, right? I have no idea where this guy's going, but I just wanted to show how sort of how these traditions still keep going. I mean, this is really, really heavy. I feel really bad for the animal that's holding that. The donkey. My God. Um, wow. That's... But, yeah. But over the past 50, 60 years, there's been an attempt to sort of salvage some of these. A lot of them are in people's homes and yards where they've been there for 100 years, 200 years, 500. Wow. And they're of no use to the people who live there. So some there are some adventurous winemakers who are trying to buy them, they take them off people's hands, uh, put them on a donkey, and also to study how it's put together, what kind of clay it's made with, and what the diameter is, what the angles are, to, if there's a method to the redness. That's really, that's fascinating. So a very quick uh, glimpse of the various regions. So Arakatsotin here, that's Arakats is a mountain. It's also uh, an old volcanic mountain. And this region is basically sort of the, the lower parts of the mountain is uh, the steps that descend from the mountain is where viticulture is done. So on the left here, you're seeing a winery. Mm. In the center, you're seeing this plain, the flatter uh, 500 meter elevation that I was showing you. So this is more commercial winemaking. And this is where obviously Armenia was a Soviet Republic for about a hundred years. And during those years, this Western Valley floor is where most viticulture took place because Soviets wanted a lot of wine and they didn't want the best wine, they wanted cheap wine, and they wanted some grapes for brandy also. So they chose the area that was the flattest and the most amenable to sort of commercial viticulture without paying much attention to quality. So as you can see, it's really flat, really widespread. This could be, I don't know, this could be California, this could be mm. uh, Argentina when you look at it, right? Yeah. No, there are no slopes, no hills, no elevation. So this is where a lot of the larger, more commercial wineries for their grapes because they can mechanize it, they can use tractors and that sort of thing. But traditionally, this is where the cheaper grapes come from that go into... The mm. And on the right, you see Bayotzor, which is today's sort of leading high-quality region. Mm -hmm. This is not flat by any means. It's high elevation, and it's where uh, the current lineup of Storica... Right. Sure. So anyway, this is a basic summary. Uh, grapevines are grown between the elevations of 600 and 1,800 meters above sea level, which is uh, really, really high. As I yeah. mentioned before, that gives you to answer your question for uh, what is special about it. It's the sunlight, the variation between the high of the day of the night, and the sort of extreme climate. So when you're that high up at 1600, any minute you could have a hailstorm, or any mm. minute could be sunburn on the grapes. Right. So it's really extreme, and you really have to be... Uh, obviously, you can't mechanize anything, tractors up there. Sometimes there are no roads. Wow. You have to get up there, take the bucket, and walk down where the so road is. Can I... Can I um... On that on that comment, can I uh, ask a question then? Having said all this, um, does that mean that there's quite a bit of uh, organic farming because of these methods? Uh, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say certified organic necessarily, but okay. for the most part, it is because there's no mildew. Armenia is not a humid place. It's very dry. Dry. Primary reason people spray uh, fungicides, other things, is obviously due to humidity. Armenia, for the most part does not have that problem. There, there are some regions in the far east and so, the far northeast which are humid, but for the most part, yes, it's natural. But it's not certain. Okay. Minimal intervention in the farming practices. Pretty much minimal intervention. They do a little bit of irrigation, 
okay. because it gets they get so much sun. But it, this is not the kind of drip irrigation you see, and you're just flooding. So once oh, per wow. season, they're allowed to flood irrigate, and that's it. We can basically say clean wines because of what we're just discussing. Yes, very clean wines, exactly. I mean, it's nature making the grape. That's very important. That's so great. I, I love that. I love yeah. learning about Yeah, so this is why you get, you know, what I highlighted in yellow is that the, the typical characters in the quality wines of Armenia have really truly expressive aromatics. That comes from the combination of the cold nights and the super heat of the sun. And when you're there, I hope you guys will come with me next time. Uh, oh, yes, this I coronavirus already, is done. I've already accepted your invitation. Yeah. Forget grapes. If you're walking out there in the summer and you're at 1,200 elevation, you have to wear a Mexican hat. Otherwise, you can't stay out there for more than three or four hours at wow. that elevation. The sun is just so intense, wow. right? This is not the Greek sun by the ocean. is relaxing. Yeah. It's a sort of, it bothers you after a while, the sunlight. See, yeah. Okay, so, so much for the... Yeah presentation itself hopefully that helps answer the question absolutely it gives a better perspective on um, you know considering what you just mentioned then yes like armenia has an ideal um environment for growing grapes at a level that can produce in turn high quality wines as the way i look at it um and not often and not often uh today and this is why we're having this segment is that when you think of armenia not everyone's first um, thought is wine. But now there's every reason to think about wine when it comes to Armenia based on what you're just presenting to us. Right. What's interesting is that even though the sort of the setting is perfect and the history is there, what has happened is due to sort of a lot of history, as well as the Soviet years, what happened was a lot of the vineyards are interspersed with different varieties. So if you're a winemaker and you're trying to say, you're trying to make a wine with grape variety X, you're going to have a really hard time finding a single uh, grape grower who can assure you that all the grapes he has is grape X, right? Mm -hmm. Because during the Soviet years, they just said, plant it all together. We're just going to harvest it early and make brandy out of it, right? The Soviets Mm -hmm. had decided that Armenia would become the brandy factory of the Soviet Union Mm -hmm. and that Georgia would become the wine factory. It was a controlled economy. Yeah. That's why a lot of the grapes are planted in the wrong places, in the wrong soil, in the wrong topography. So over the past 15, 20 years, there's been a renaissance in that people are rethinking where and what the original variety and how to grow grapes for wine as opposed for brandy. So that's the process that Armenia is going through now. It's made a lot of, still, almost 85% of all the wine uh, grown in Armenia end up in a distillate. 15 years ago, that number was 95%. So it's gone down by 10%. But it's still only 15% of the grapes that are grown for wine are actually uh, sold as wine. Mm. 85% are made into wine and then they're distilled into brandies. Yeah. I, I have to say, make a quick comment. You know, And again, I, I'm not trying to keep referencing that we're Greek, but as Greeks, <laughs> we, we have our... I'm brand- sorry, where are you from? <laughs> Is that, you know, we've... Where, drank- where the word narcissism... Uh- right. <laughs> we, we grew up with a ton of brandy uh, as, you know, growing up in our household, um, you know, Metaxa being a big brand and brandy being a, a part. But I have to say, when I was when when I got introduced to Armenian brandy, uh, I was like, wow, I this is much better. And I am not going to downplay the brandy that comes from Greece, but the best brandy that I've ever had outside of, you know, Greece and even from France has been from from Armenia. Yeah, so we're not, I'm not, yeah, exactly. The brandy is nice. 
There's plenty of cheap brandy in Armenia too. Right, uh, right. But yeah, but you probably had the nice stuff. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with growing brandy. It's just that slowly the culture is moving away into so, wines. It'll take decades. Yeah. That that's going to lead me into my next question as we as we go into our next segment uh, in the show here is that um, now we're, you mentioned the Renaissance, right? And uh, here is a company that I I just founded by by mutual friends. Not, I'm going to say accidental, but maybe it was destined to be. So Storica Wines. Um, which I would like you to, to talk about a little about what the uh, what what is historical wines and why now why are we now putting together this team to start importing Armenian wine? Right, uh, good question. So historica is is an adjective in Italian, right? It's a feminine adjective, means historical or historic, I guess. Historico would be the masculine form. I was not involved in coming up with the name. I, I don't actually know who came up with the name. Maybe I can find out tomorrow. <laughs> or maybe someone can tell us in the chat box who came up with the name. But the name kind of says it. There's a story to be told there. And uh, Storica's mission is really to, to once and for all tell that story the proper way and to ensure that uh, the story is not only told, but that the story lives on to be tomorrow's story also, right? So, so the sad thing about the wine culture of Armenia is that due to past history and Soviet history, a lot of the winemaking knowledge was lost. And along with it, the wine drinking a sort of a culture was lost and people drank brandy and vodka. So Storica is now because over the past 10, 12 years, we feel like there are enough high quality wines that are expressive and true to place and that definitely have a place in the U.S. market. So which is why we think now is the time to import them, but also introduce them and sell them to everyone. Those people who come across it, the interesting thing is a lot of people say, you know, this wine tastes very familiar and that it's unique. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing about Armenian wines, because there's a com- there's a question in the comment box, which we'll address together, I'm sure, uh, later, which is saying, how do you compare Armenian wines to Georgian wines, right? That's a big topic there, mm-hmm. and we'll get to it in the last segment. But I'll use that question also to answer this question, in that uh, unlike Georgian wines, Armenia has a chance to press the reset button. And it's been pressing that reset button for about 15 years now. So what Armenia has is a combination of very old grape varieties uh, and a set of vines. So some of the vines that the grapes are grown on that go into these wines are over 100 years old, right? If you do that in Spain or France, that bottle of wine will cost you 80 if you have 100 year olds, right? In Armenia, a 100-year-old wine will create beautiful grapes and the wine will cost you $30, or twenty dollars. I'll take the. There's Armenian great wine. value to be had. Yeah. Uh, there's a great ratio of value to quality, but also unlike Georgia, we're not encumbered by tradition, right? Georgia is kind of ties its own hands because it has so many winemaking traditions that it can't break out of its habit. Armenia has an opportunity because of this recent renaissance to sort of reset things. So they're making wines using primarily uh, European equipment. You know, they take care of fermentation temperature. They make sure that things are filtered properly and they're not afraid to experiment with new styles because they lost their original ways of winemaking due to history anyway. Right. Whereas Georgians are sort of, you know, they have that albatross on their shoulder saying, well, my grandfather made wine this way. So I <laughs> so that's why to answer your question, this is the perfect time for a company like Sirka to import these wines in the States because the quality is just ramping up and all indications are that in five years, that 85% uh, of grapes going into wine will become 75. 
So there's going to be a lot more of it. We're helping create a market for it in the States so that when when the higher quality wines keep coming in larger volumes, there's going to be a channel to sell them to. Otherwise, that's the point, right? So now that leads me to my next question, which that's fa- that's very fascinating about uh, the timing of everything. So Storica wine, Storica wine, the company gets created, and then you decide on this winery called Zulal. And why out of all the wineries do we start with Zulal? Why do we start with Zulal? Yeah. And we can talk a little bit about the winery and then t- start tasting the wines at some point very soon. Absolutely, yes, <laughs> let's start tasting the wines. Um, so Zulal means pure in the, Arme- in the Armenian language, right? Z-U-L-A-L. And one of the reasons we started with it was because their aim is to showcase uh, the flavors, textures, and aromas of the sort of uh, leading authentic grape varieties of Armenia. They're not making wines using Malbec or Syrah or international grape varieties. Their aim is to showcase the uh, Arani, Voskehat, Jilar, and other sort of autochthonous, indigenous grape varieties. So that's the first reason. The second reason is that they're doing so uh, with sort of Western winemaking techniques, which make the wines sort of accessible to Western drinkers, European, or in that these are not super earthy, kind of slightly dirty tasting wines that are made in a village somewhere that aren't properly fried. They're, they're really made to a high the third reason is they can make enough volume. It's amazing to make wines that are expressive at that high volume. It's not an easy task. So that's why this is our first uh, line of wine. And hopefully we'll be releasing many other lines of wines in years. Excellent. Okay. Uh, excellent answers. I just wanted to kind of pick your brain for the audience. And uh, we have a nice lineup that maybe I think this would be a, the, the time to taste through the lineup that we have for our guests this evening. Um, even though we did mention that we're going to taste through the Zulao line, but we also are going to kick off with a sparkler, which, you know, sparkling wines uh, is a growing category lately. And a lot of folks have been exploring uh, Proseccos and Cavas and different types of uh, sparklers from around the world. But I was so pleased to see that not only uh, is the Storica wines importing a sparkling wine, but it's, in my opinion, delicious compared to other sparklers that i've worked with in the industry so let's start with a let's start with the sparkler okay and the proper pronunciation is kush well you know i think uh it depends who you ask so some people say kush some people say kush i think you should say it the way you want to say it um it's not a it's not a word that's common it, it's someone's last name and it would be kush as in almost in french Oh, I see. Okay. I'm a big fan of sparkling wines, so this is right up my alley. And you know, uh, our, I've been I've been uh, drinking sparkling wines for quite some time, uh, but lately, in the last handful of years, it's become more and more of a thing for us. And I start to introduce it to more of my family and friends, and now they're onto this. Where before, it wasn't really considered a a selection uh, other than just toasting and celebrating. Right. Yeah. Sparkling wine has a, an unfortunate situation in the marketplace <laughs> because a lot of the marketing is driven by sort of celebration only. And nightclubs. So a lot of, yeah, a lot of people think, well, there's no birthday, so I'm not going to drink a sparkling <laughs> wine. I'm, I'm like you. I drink sparkling wine all the time. Right. Uh, of various kinds. Uh, I was always kind wine, of shy yeah. to, to drink sparkling wines when I went out and uh, I give credit to my sister because every time we'd go somewhere, she'd order a sparkling wine. And I was like, wow, must be interesting. But like, she always so did it. Felt- so then I started doing it. And then I would, you know, 
go out for a drink with Fothi and he would do it. And I was like, hey, if my sister and Fothi are doing it, then then I'm good to do it too. Oh, so you weren't comfortable doing it on your own is what you're telling me. Because well, I'm, not, I'm not very, I, I wasn't work. very well versed at that point. Why? Was it the shape I, I didn't of the know much about it? I, I was a sheep and I just did what other people did. Got it. Okay. Oh, no. So, Ara, as you were saying. Yeah. So, so this sparkling wine is made in the sort of method traditionnel, as they call it, or the champagne method, as it used to be called. Now it's illegal to say that. Oh. But there I said champagne method. Yes. Okay? So, we might get sued tomorrow. No. Uh, just you know, um, anyway, the champagne speak. method simply means that the second fermentation that uh, produces the bubbles it actually happens in the bottle that you're at the store right it's mm-hmm. washed cleaned labeled and then you buy it the wine never leaves the bottle unlike prosecco where after you make wine you pour it into a big tank you close the tank you, you pressurize it and then you produce the bubbles and then you re-bottle it so this is the traditional method meaning once you make a still wine you add further yeast and sugar you close the cap and then the bubbles appear inside the very bottle that at the store which is why it's often slightly more expensive than Prosecco. So this is the first one in Armenia to use uh, autochthonous or indigenous grape varieties. There are other sparklers that come from Armenia, but they use uh, international grape varieties like Chardonnay and other things, which is obviously common in Champagne. Uh, but this one uses two grapes, Khatuni and Voskehat, Voskehat being the wine we're going to taste in the Zulal line of wines mm. that come from the far sort of southwestern corner of Armenia on that thin strip. Uh, goes towards Iran. These are again uh, high elevation. They come from about 1700 meters above sea level, which is what helps give it that sort of crispness and high level of acidity. It's very cold at night. So these grapes are sort of picked a little early, so they're barely ripe to give them that zing and that citrus and green apple flavor, high level of acidity. Then they do a second fermentation in the bottle, after which it sits on the yeast sediment for somewhere between a year and a half to two years, right? So in Champagne, just to put this in context, a regular non-vintage Champagne, which is about 95% of Champagnes out there, by law only needs to spend 15 months on the yeast. So this wine spends between 18 and 22 months. So it's slightly more complex than your average non-vintage in its yeastiness, but it's not super, super yeasty. So it plays that fine line between having crisp, fresh flavors of fruit, along with a yeasty, creamy flavor that comes from the yeast kind. Uh, just outstanding the way they were able to create that balance. Very, very skillful. Very skillful. Yeah. Very balanced wine. And the, the last bit of sugar that they always put into sparkling wines is perfectly balanced to counter uh, counterbalance the, it's very well made. And for the price, you know, $20, gonna... $23, it's really, really good. Yeah. This is typical of what we're talking about, about the Armenian wine renaissance. Very old variety, very old vineyard, very new method. This is a French method, right? Yeah. I have to say, Armen- yeah. packaging, packaging too is also, I'm very impressed with packaging. Yes, very attractive. Very clean, very, clean, very um, pronounced. So this is great with fried foods, smoked salmon type of salty, briny. Yeah, I was going to say salty, briny, uh, you know, being, yeah. being in New England, you know, you know raw bar. Uh, oysters, ceviche, um, definitely anything that's got that dryness to it, salty, dry, dry food. Um, but just even just sipping on its own um, to really kick things off for any type of an experience really, I think, gets us going. Absolutely. Yeah. Excellent. So, yeah, so I, for those that are uh, listening to us this evening and for those that are going to be listening to this segment uh, moving forward, 
Um, if you're gonna if you're gonna spend the money for a sparkler, uh, this particular sparkler in the twenty dollar range, hands down, in my opinion, can compare to any sparkling wine that's in the fifty dollar range and above. In my opinion, I would definitely challenge anyone to actually taste with us when it comes to the challenge. <laughs> so we now will move into the Zulal wines. Okay, so as I said, uh, Zulal is a project that aims to make wines from uh, Armenia's leading indigenous grape varieties. And uh, the overwhelming majority of the wines will not undergo oak aging or anything like that in order to preserve the uh, flavors, aromas, and textures of the grapes themselves. There it is. So you can see it has a nice label with some nice scripts. Um, the first wine, the white wine we're having, is made with a grape called Voskehat. It's the leading white grape variety of Armenia. Uh, the word actually Voski is gold. Hat is for Hatik. Hatik means berry, so it means golden berry because uh, the, the the berries are the grape berries. They have a yeah. nice gold. So the skin color is that is golden. Okay. So this is also a very old variety, and uh, it's an interesting variety in the sense that when people here taste it, when I have it, people taste it. They have a similar reaction to what we were saying earlier, which is it's so familiar, and yet I don't think I've had this before, but I think I've had it, but I think it's I've never had this. <laughs> they whiffle a waffle because the body of the wine is rich like a Chardonnay or a Chenin Blanc, but the flavors aren't anything like a Chardonnay. And the acidity carries the weight of the wine. So it's a relatively weighty white wine, not super weighty like a Viognier, but a medium to medium plus weight. Mm-hmm. And it has a very nice sort of herbal note, yeah. already, sort of like chamomile tea mm. or something like that. I can it's definitely smell the herb, yeah. herbaceous. Something herbal, right? Maybe yeah. some Greek mountain herbs. That's what we're smelling. Greek mountain tea is what we said. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know the, the Greek mountain tea they sell in the store in a sort of plastic wrapping with yeah, the long yeah, leaves? Yeah. That's kind of what this reminds me of. What is that called in Greek? I don't Um So depending on where you come in Gre- from Greece, everyone has their own... Uh, local term for it. Yeah. Good for yeah. them. So, no, not so really. None of them know what they're talking no, about. The next fighting, person always fighting. Like, what is the right term? Yeah. <laughs> right. So let's not fight about that. But but it does have an herbal tea. But definitely, of. yeah, I can definitely sense the the uh, the uh, that herbal essence on the aromas for sure. And on the palate, you'll you'll taste more less of the herbal and more of the stone fruits, the pear, the very ripe yeah. apple. Right. And in the yeah. warmer vintages, uh, like the next vintage, we'll carry. It'll have more of a sort of peach, even honeysuckle. What gets me uh, are is the finish. Mm-hmm. That's where, um, I mean, the aroma is great. The textures and flavors look great. But what keeps me back to sipping it is the finish. Wonderful, isn't it? Is it the flavors on the finish? What are... Flavors, how it lingers and how it just keeps okay. my palate um, uh, still active. It doesn't fall flat. It doesn't like go away quickly like some whites can tend to do. It just stays exactly. with me. Stays with me. And, well, that's one of the classic traits of quality, right? Is sort of the finish that doesn't fall off. A lot of right. cheap wines you buy, they might taste good in the, on the mid palate, but as soon as you swallow it, it's gone. So this one does linger. Yeah. As as drinkers or just in general, I think, you know, we're not really paying attention because we're in conversation, we're eating. Uh, but I truly believe that the finish is probably just as important as anything because it's what keeps us sipping it more and more. Right, absolutely. It's like a memory, right? Hmm. It's like you watch a powerful movie, and the two minutes after the movie sometimes are more important than the movie itself. Itself, Ah. because you think about what just happened. Yeah, 
So wine is like that too sometimes. Yeah. It lingers mm-hmm. with Excellent. Ari, any uh, any thoughts? I mean yeah. Oh, I'm soaking this all in. I, I you know, I've I'm not well versed with Armenian wines and I invited several of my Armenian friends to the to the, the the webinar tonight and they were like, Wait, is it a brandy webinar? And I'm like, No, 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 wine, wine, <laughs> wine. So it's this is like this is incredible and, and fascinating and uh, I, I think everybody who's on here is gonna get a lot out of it. I'm getting a lot out of it. I mean I had no idea and I'm I'm kind of a history buff and just the history of it is absolutely amazing. I, I, I had no idea. Thank you so much for like opening our eyes to this and for, for Storica as a whole to, to, to bring this to, to us. Absolutely. And we'll be bringing more soon enough. I hope Love it. Uh, to answer Love the it. question in the box, uh, the, the Zulal Voskehat does not have oak, but, but it does, it does feel rich enough that it may have been in oak, but as far as we know, it's never been inside. I was just going to ask, Ara, have yeah. you had a Voskehat that's been aged in barrels? Yes, I've tried a couple. Uh-huh. And we might have some on the market next year. We'll wow. see. Okay. Okay. The thing with the tricky thing with the wines there is so so oak barrels aren't really traditional in that of the world in okay. the sense of like history. Oh. It's a European import. And so they're trying to figure out whether to use the local wood or to import from gotcha. Slovenia or France okay. and that sort of the local wood sometimes is too powerful. So I think it'll be another five years before most wineries figure out what kind of barrel. Possibly. It's really the clay. Yeah, it's really the amphora that's the traditional maturation. Yeah, yeah. This all night. You know why they don't do it in clay anymore? Because they don't have donkeys to move it around. Right? <laughs> picture. Remember the picture? Well, we should start a business in Armenia that actually... <laughs> that's right. ...those donkeys. Oh, you have enough of them oh. in Greece, right? You oh, yeah. Just, like, no, no, no. The donkeys in Greece are too lazy. <laughs> that's not going to work but uh so now that we've got to experience the white which i think is a fascinating selection for anybody who hasn't had it to try it for sure white wine lovers and non-wine love white wine lovers you should definitely have um, a chance at this but now what i was also uh pleased to see that there's a rosé in the lineup and rosé which in for us you know it's still a growing category it's been trendy for the last four or five years. Um, you know, there's still people that are on the fence about rosé and what it really means. But, um, you know, in the European cultures, obviously rosé has been a staple for, for centuries. How? Let's talk about rosé real quickly in Armenia. And is it, the same, is it viewed the same way as in the rest of Europe before we get to, the, to try this delicious selection from Zulal? But uh, your thoughts on the rosé? Yeah, rosé is also a fairly new phenomenon. It's not okay. it wasn't traditionally done because traditionally you wouldn't, you, you wouldn't have enough time to bury it and then remove the skins when the wine is pink. By the time, you know, weeks and months passed, when you go back right. in there to get the grape skins off, it would be deeper it wouldn't work. anyway. It yeah. Wouldn't work. yeah. So it's not really traditional, it's part of the Renaissance. Gotcha. So it's essentially an import. We can admit that. Okay. Um, but the good news is the leading grade variety of Armenia is very sort of conducive to rosé because it, its primary quality is bright red expressive cherry fruit kind yeah. of flavor. That's the Arini grape, which is the grape that this rosé is made with. Uh, I don't have the rosé with me, so I'm going to let you guys taste it. Yeah, I, But you'll notice that it's all about red berry. I still find, I was, you know, I've had rosés uh, from different uh 
cult wine cultures and different methods and different styles and different grape varieties. And it can be so very different from one another. But lately, obviously, um, I feel that it was still modern in the, in the sense that it was made because, as you mentioned, fresh aromas, very crisp, very refreshing, but still contains a very good element of fruit, a French rosé. Right, right. And keep in mind, this is the 2018 you're tasting. So it's two years old and, still, and it's still very expressive. Yes, yeah. because uh, yeah. The, the point that Ari wants to make, Ari, is that rosés in general have a very short shelf life. Um, because of the composition and the way they're made, um, the skin contact is minimal. It doesn't really extract too much of the compounds that are found. Not to get too geeky and technical, but basically what we're getting at is that rosé should be consumed very fast. You know, they need to be consumed very early. They don't age well, uh, for that matter, for, for the most part. The but, most part. Um, you know, being that it's two years old, it still feels, tastes just as fresh as any 2019 uh, rosé that we've had from other parts of the world. But oh, yeah. uh, yes, I mean, for those of us that are listening and are in, have enjoyed rosés and are loving rosés or just starting to uh, get into rosés, this will be right up your alley because of what we yeah. just mentioned. Yeah, this one really has very zingy sort of expressive red fruit, but the body is weightier than than your typical sort of southern French rosé. Yes. It has enough body to, to be had with the chicken or a salad with shrimps on it or something like that. So I tell you... Um, Ara, I uh, last week I had a I had uh, the Zola Rosé with actually with a um, with a sirloin. What? Right, and, yes. and it works. Yeah. And, it, and it was perfect because wow. all right. So you, you you know we think this on not to go off topic real quickly, but you know we're always thinking uh, you know reds with you know with cuts of different types of meats, ribeye, yeah. uh, New York sirloin, uh, porter, and, and so on and so on, but. You know, if you think about it, you know, a cut of meat, uh, which has very little, in my opinion, unless there's a lot of fat, there's very little flavor profile that it really presents. And unless you season it with whatever you're going to season it, or if you're going to put a dry rub on it, um, you lose the meat or the beef that you're having with a very heavy red wine. When you have it with a rosé, in my opinion, like the Zulal, you still maintain the flavors of the beef that you're having or the cut of beef along with the wine itself I, I find that it's a perfect balance but so many so many of my friends and family uh kind of like are a little hesitant like you know uh, why would i waste a uh, a good cut of beef with a rosé but i said I'm hesitant you're blowing my mind right now I, I, I never even thought about doing that why and then call me yeah i actually i agree with Foti completely you know what i like with steak riesling Riesling. Wow. Riesling or barrel-aged Chardonnay. Though I, I think the only people who say, oh, you're having steak, you should have this blockbuster Cabernet, are people who have too much Napa Cabernet to sell. Oh. So, I mean, yes. so it what's makes my no sense. It just takes order... over the flavor of the food. Yeah. Yes. What, what's my comeback when I order uh, a, a rosé or Riesling with a steak <laughs> and the server looks at me? I, I need a uh, good send comeback. Them, send, them the, send them the link to this webinar. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> I want to call Forty or me. We'll yeah. take care of it. Don't worry. <laughs> I need a professional to, to stand up for me. I just wanted to mention that because I had it last week and it just it just floored me and I was like, I gotta I gotta make this uh, announcement during the webinar. <laughs> so some nice Greek barbecue with Armenian rosé. Wow. Yes. Greek lamb and Armenian wine. Right. That's great. I love yeah. that. So so there we, you know, we have the, uh, so the, so quick question, how yeah. long 
is the skin contact with this rosé. Do you have any idea? Or on this rosé, I don't know for a fact, but just based on how it tastes, how it smells, yes, probably a couple of weeks. Right, because uh, obviously, ladies and gentlemen, you know, rosés um, are wines typically made from red grapes. And what determines the color and the look is how much time the skins are in contact with the juice that's in the vat. So the longer they stay in the vat, the darker the juice gets, right? So uh, the less time it has together, the, the lighter and brighter it looks. Does that Hold help it you? right already? in front of you, Foti. There well, you I, go. <laughs> <laughs> ah, that looks good. The sun from Santorini is, is <laughs> bothering me. That would be a great a marketing picture with a picture of Zulal Rosé at we're, Santorini. We're going to so Storica and along with yourself, and we're going to have to have a like trip planned to Santorini. We're going to bring Armenian wine, and we're going to do some great uh, things together there. All right. Santorini also, by the way, is full of volcanic soil, just like Armenia. Uh-huh. So, you know, they also make great wines. But the, only, the only problem there is that it's still considered slightly active. So. <laughs> yeah. Oh, did he freeze? So if you're on an island with an with a, with a slightly active volcano, and the yeah. only way to get out is by boat, <laughs> you're you're in trouble, right? A little bit, yes. <laughs> well, Ara, I gotta tell you, uh, now that you just mentioned that, not that this have to do with the women, but I happened to be in Greece uh, during a unfortunate circumstance with an earthquake. <laughs> I was in Athens, and the only way to get out of Athens was I had to jump on the next sh- ferry boat that was leaving, and I had and that was one of my experiences. <laughs> Of, of those circumstances. Uh, yeah. But anyways, <laughs> let's move on to our next point. So we just got to um, experience the rosé, uh, and we're going to move on into what I've been waiting for is the red. Yes, that's uh, what I've been sipping on. <laughs> which is uh, which is a blend, right, Ara? It is, yes. So this one's a blend of 70% Arini. That's that sort of uh, indigenous leading red grape of Armenia we were talking about that the rosé is made with. But in this case, they blended it with 20% Syrah and 10% Sireni, which is a grape that comes from Artsakh in the far east of Armenia. Well, you hold it a little thing. over yourself. Yeah. We can't see. There you go. Oh, there it is. Okay. So, Adeni, that's the correct pronunciation. Adeni. Yes, Adeni. Adeni. So, Adeni is also the name of the village, which is sort of the winemaking center of that southern high quality region where that old cave is and. A lot of the oh, traditional okay. winemaking is preserved there because the Soviets didn't really bother to go all the way there. Um, so, so what's interesting about this red wine? Sorry, go ahead. Real quickly. So Arini is the name of the varietal, but it's also name of the area. It's a, it's a town. It's a small wow. town so uh, that you... is kind of located in the southeast, that last uh, province I showed you for winemaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's a town that is kind of in the center of all the sort of high quality hillside winemaking that goes on there at the high elevation. So can Adeni, the varietal, grow outside of the town Adeni? It does. So there's a there's a nice winery that actually planted Adeni in uh, the northwest of Armenia, mm-hmm. in that Arakatsotin region. It's a very well-established winery and their wines sell for a lot of money. So they've proven what a lot of people said couldn't be done. They said, oh, no, Arini only grows where that Arini region is. Uh, this guy proved them wrong. Okay. It does need sort of soils that are not compacted, so it can't grow in clay soils and things like that. It needs looser soil. Okay. Uh, but other than that, they've proven that they can grow it in other parts of Armenia. So let's get into the wine and let's uh, give our audience a little preview of this great red blend. Okay, so this red blend is interesting because it kind of 
marries three grape varieties and three wine regions, so wow. which is not really commonly done in Armenia, which is why it's unique. So the Arini comes from the southeast, that Vyotso region that we spoke of. So it, it'll bring that fresh red berry flavor to wine. The Syrah comes from those flatter 500-meter elevations. Remember, I was saying those are the lowest elevations in Armenia, the more sort of commercial winemaking. It comes from that region, which makes riper grapes. So so the Syrah brings this sense of ripeness, okay. uh, sort of that fig and maybe blackberry jam, blueberry jam kind of aroma you find in this wine. Mm. And the Sireni comes from Artsakh, which is in the far east of Armenia, which is a much more moderate and less extreme in climate. It's a little more humid and a little, little warmer. So that grape makes sort of color, intense, more tannic wine. So what, what this blend is, is basically indicative of what the three different regions and the three different grapes of Armenia uh, grown in three different regions can do. This is not typical, um, but it's a very interesting wine because you get the fresh berry from the Arani, you get the Syrah spice and pepperiness and ripeness, and you get the structure of Sirani, that combination of tannin and... Outstanding. It's like a blend from all over. Armenia. Right. So it's like a... Is there Armenian, like, equivalent of Cotteron? Um Something like that, yeah, or Vendor France. Even. Um, definitely, you know, again, great aromas uh, from all three varietals combined. Uh, they're very inviting for red, very warm, warm aromas. Um, especially now that the weather's getting cooler. I think this is such a great fit at the moment. I mean, today was, well, we're in, I'm in Boston right now, so um, weather is still in the 60s, but at night it kind of drops quickly. But this is a great fitting transitional wine because uh, we're still thinking that uh, summer just finished, right? It feels like summer just ended. Right. And we're still like... Uh, especially today. Winter. But uh, the aromas are very inviting, Ara, for sure. And um, it, so the it, wine is not, yeah, it has a lot of depth of flavors from each of the three grapes, but it still feels light enough. I think yeah. that's what you're getting at. It's not a snowstorm wine yet. It's more like, no. a, yeah. So yeah. I, if I can put this into my into my perspective, it's um, the layers are just flowing. Uh, the, there's different, obviously, I can I can taste the different layers because of what you just mentioned, but they flow. In some other complex wines, you can really distinguish the different layers uh, individually. But here it flows together. So what I mean by texturally, like on your palate, the sensation feels great. It feels smooth. Some yes. wines have different sensations because of the way they're made up. Um, but here, the, the, the textures really flow. Yep, I agree with you. I think it's, a, it's what we would call a round and supple wine. It's not an angular sort of sour food wine right very rounded and supple yeah yes so i can see myself having this on its own and also at the table Mm -hmm. especially i'm sure i mean it's been open for about half an hour so it's have some time to kind of soften up or as we say breathe we let our wine breathe but um, i'm sure as time goes on the smoother it gets oh yeah yeah it does try it tomorrow morning on your cereal. I don't be, think that's possible. <laughs> It'll be gone by tomorrow. It'll be very smooth. Uh, excellent. I mean, this is fascinating that uh, we're actually tasting, in my opinion, world-class wine from Armenia. And yeah. great um, prices, right? Yeah. I do, I do believe, um, Ara, you answered a lot of the questions. There's one more that I don't think we got to. If you could real quickly just uh, get Absolutely. to... Absolutely. Um, is it still the case that Armenia has avoided the 
Phylloxera, yeah. Right. So, so the only regions that Phylloxera has shown up in, unfortunately, is the Ararat Valley and Armavir in that western flatter region. There is yeah. some Phylloxera there, uh, as well as the northeast. So Phylloxera, for those of you unfamiliar with it, is a louse that mm -hmm. kind of feeds on the roots of grapevines that essentially destroyed uh, the entire wine industry about 150 years ago. Wow. Another great gift from America to Europe. That's how <laughs> the French look at it. Uh, uh, it did make it all the way to sort of Georgia. Most of Armenia has sandier soils. So so it was thought that there was no phylloxera, but unfortunately in that southwestern corner, they have found phylloxera as well in the northeast. But what they say is that it's sort of contained and that they're dealing with it by regrafting vines. So it's it hasn't been a huge problem, but it's not completely free of phylloxera anymore. Wow. Also, another question about uh, orange wines in Armenia. So Armenia doesn't really have a tradition of making orange wines. There are some experiments being done, sort of learning from the neighboring Georgians, but it remains very tangential. No one's really making large volumes of orange wine commercially in yet. Armenia yet. 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 Okay. Excellent. Uh, Ari, before we get to uh, more of our questions, I just want to point out for our audience that's listening, um, if you've, you know, if you, and we're hoping that you have enjoyed this segment and understanding what we're presenting, the wines that we've just featured for you in this segment are, are available on the Urban Wine Club platform, um, which is urbanwineclub.co. I think Ari has posted a link to the shopping cart where we feature all of the wines individually for sale and also as a four pack which you can purchase and we actually ship it to you right to your door. So this is a great opportunity for those of you that haven't tried the Zulal wines in the Kush. And if you haven't had a chance to look at your local retailer, if they have it or not, uh, we want to make the process very efficient and easy for you. You can just click on that link and we'd love for you to at least uh, participate in, in purchasing the wines and trying them and also giving us feedback as well after you had them. So I just want to point that out. Uh, urbanwineclub.co Ari put the link in the chat box uh, for you. And we also have, and before we sign off, we'll definitely uh, together with you, Ara, is let everyone know about uh, the different social media platforms, the handles, the website for Storica that people can find out more information. Absolutely. Yeah. So Storica underscore wines on Instagram, follow us. You'll, you'll see great pictures of Armenian vineyards and what mm -hmm. new exciting wines we're working on getting over here for you guys. So uh, do follow us because there's going to be a lot of, uh, new stuff coming over the next year. Uh, it's very exciting because I think consumers here are ready for new things. You know, everyone's had enough of Italian regions and French <laughs> regions and we're always looking for new ideas. And Thanks Armenia is a great source for, for new ideas that are familiar and sort of... Right, right. Um, so, yeah, so definitely like we want to mention that before we uh, come to the end of our segment. Uh, Ari, I have a couple more questions, unless you have any ones that are in the... Uh, in the no, I, Ara actually addressed all the questions that were posted in the chat. So if you have any, go ahead, and then uh, I'll get... Uh, so the one question I have that came to me directly that didn't come in the chat box is, does Storica plan on bringing in high-quality um, brandy, even though this is a wine <laughs> uh, Sorry, but I had to... I, I guess we have to ask this. <laughs> Any That's plans or any projects in the works? Uh, well, uh, I'll be a politician and say we haven't decided not to do that. So, so <laughs> I think I think if we were to find a, a, a nice brandy that kind oh. of tells a story, why not? 
I don't think there's a reason why right. we shouldn't do that. Absolutely. We're all about telling the story of this place. And anything made with grapes is up for grabs. So okay. why not? As long as it's good. Yeah, here's a next question. Does Armenia produce distillates? So, yeah, brandy is a distillate. Oh, I'm sorry. About. Yeah. What yeah, so distillate is anything that you kind of distill after making. So brandy, grappa, stuff like that. Yeah, that was their example. Uh, equivalent to grappa, is there anything that's coming out of Armenia in that fashion? Yeah, exactly. So that's sort of the... Technically, they're all called brandy. So there's a misnomer. A lot of people wow. think brandy has to be brown, but it doesn't. Okay. So, and a lot of people think transparent distillate from grapes is vodka, but it's not. Vodka can only be made from grains, not grapes. So uh, so basically what they do is they distill from grapes and apricots and other fruits. They distill it into technically what is brandy. Uh, but in this country, we think brandy has to be brown, but it's not. So it would be clear. Uh, like that's a water. very like, good, uh, very yeah. good, very good point. So Just brandy like can be clear. Yeah, brandy. Brandy is clear when you make it. It you either add color to it artificially or you put it in a wooden barrel. That's when it gets brown. Yeah, most brandy is made clear. Um, another question. You had you had touched on this earlier about um, you know consumption. Uh, does Armenia have a relatively high um, domestic consumption of their wines? I guess it depends what you mean by relatively high. <laughs> so it has a. The newer generation is apparently yeah. drinking much more wine than the previous one. There are a lot of uh, cool and hip wine bars popping up all over town. Oh, nice. And that's kind of the thing to do these days, whereas before they would go eat food and throw back shots of like that. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't say it's quite as uh, they probably drink more wine in Italy and Greece than they do in Armenia. But the younger generation is drinking wine uh, as they're to drink. So probably in 10 years, if you ask me that question, if we see one another again in Santorini, um, I'll have a different (laughs) answer for you. Mm. So it's growing. The segment of consumers in Armenia that are drinking wine is growing. And institutions and sort of bars and restaurants are offering more and more wines. That is true. But compared to, say, European countries or Argentina, Mm. um, it's still pretty low. Got it. Um, This next question, I don't know if you can actually justify this, but uh, we'll ask. I just ask, like, where are you getting all these questions from? They're they're not in the chat box. (laughs) Texting (laughs) people. They don't want to be known. Uh, Okay. If you were were to compare one uh, region of the world that produces wine, where would you compare Armenia to? It's a tough one. Hmm. Who wrote that? That's a tough one. Yeah. These are smart, smart Alex that are. Yeah. Yeah, I don't, I don't really know how to answer that question, honestly. We're not going to answer maybe, it. Maybe sort of the cooler regions of Chile by the ocean, yeah, something like that. Maybe, maybe Santorini. Why not? I mean, Santorini is much windier. Okay. Yeah, a sort of a place that's deeply continental. Some of the, some of the. Excellent. Uh, um, all right. How about I have a question? What's next? Want to text for- it to me? Yeah. <laughs> What's next for Storica Wines? What is next for Storica Wines? Well, first is to sort of continue our push to open markets in the U.S. because it's, you know, you know, it's easy to bring wines to the U.S. You just kind of make arrangements. Someone puts something on a boat and the stuff shows up. Right. What's next for us is to ensure that there are people here waiting for it, right? Right. And we're going to take the stuff. So it's opening up the U.S. market is what's next for us. Um, that'll take another six months to a year. After that, in terms of products, in terms of ideas, 
we are scouting in Armenia from the north to the south, the west to the east, whatever it is. And we're going to find really interesting, unique wines at different prices and in different styles to showcase in the U.S. Uh, to different levels of consumers, some uh, primarily for restaurants, others drinking, others high-end retail shops. So it's really creating a market here so that we enable the Renaissance to continue and to grow, to become a real true Renaissance. Because if we don't do this, in 15 years, some of these new wineries that are doing good projects, you know what happens when the guy who's running the winery retires and his son goes to accounting school and moves to France? Right. They <laughs> give up. Right. So we don't want that to happen in order to ensure continuity and that this becomes a sort of a stable part of the local economy and that it's a, it's an industry that's sort of sustainable. We need to open markets here and develop connections with all the wineries to tell them, you know, if you really focus on quality, we promise to find you a market. So that's really the conversation. Well, that's very that's very uh, inspiring and intriguing for us to stay connected because we always want to see what's next. Um, and definitely keep us in mind when that does happen. We'd love to make sure that we have you back again on our segments to kind of give us uh, the updates. And hopefully on the next segment, we'll feature other wineries that you're bringing into the market. But at this moment, yeah. Ara, on, on my behalf, we, I wanted to thank you so much for this, uh, this time and opportunity to learn more about uh, the Armenian wine culture, or Armenia in general, uh, the wines that we just tasted, your perspectives, everything you just provided for me was very um, priceless in my sense, because I enjoy bringing folks like yourself who actually uh, can present it articulate it and actually break it down so that anybody that is listening can understand. I was going to say uh, the fact that he's an educator uh, made this all the better. The way he did the presentation, the, 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 the uh, slideshow, the way can he we put explained. a plug in for our, like as an educator, like how can, can we plug that in that you're an educator, Ara? Well, yeah. So I don't teach at home. I can't take any private <laughs> private business. Uh, <laughs> I teach, if you want to plug, I teach at Boston University. They have a really interesting wine program that they've developed in-house. So unlike most uh, educational... I don't, I don't want to offend you, Ira, but Fwati uh, <laughs> is a BC uh, alum, so don't hold it against them. Hang up, wait. Hold it against them. But... That, but having said that, Ari, you're a BU guy. So what's the- <laughs> that's why we have this uh, this connection, Ara and I. Ara and Ari. I see. I see. Ara and Ari at BU, right? That's the. But uh, yes, I wanted to plug that in because I think it's important to know that those that want to learn more about wine that there's outlets uh, that you provide. But uh, again, thank you very much, Ara. This was uh, very very fulfilling for me personally. I hope for our guests and I hope for Ari who was also uh, kind of molding his... Uh, oh, my God, absolutely. Sharpening his wine skills here on these segments. This was uh, this was far more fascinating than I anticipated it would be. And, and that's, that's, that's true. That's a very true... Uh, you know, I, I always look forward to these. I always look forward to learning. But um, the history, the history is just absolutely fascinating. I, I, uh, I, I had no idea. And I want to make sure I don't forget, but I definitely want to, you know, acknowledge. I want to thank the team from Storico uh, Wines, uh, Zach, Kevork, Rachel, Catherine, um, and Ara yourself. Uh, we've been very uh, fortunate to have this uh, collaboration, this partnership, this friendship uh, that we've we've developed in such a short time. 
uh, and that we're able to actually be a part of uh, the the development of your your vision and your passions uh, in the Armenian wine culture. Um, Absolutely. It's a pleasure for me to be here. Thanks for having me. And it's a pleasure for us to have people like you as a partner because we can't do this by your, by ourselves. So thank you for uh, oh. letting out a hand and being our partner. No, no, we appreciate, we appreciate all of it. We appreciate your expertise. We appreciate your team for their professionalism. Um, I want to say thank you so much to everybody who is listening tonight. Tomorrow, this will be a video um, and it will be a podcast. We'll post all the information. We're going to post all of Storica's information. And I want to thank Foti for being Foti. And Ara, in case you didn't know, he's Greek. I just want to throw that oh, out wow. there. That yeah, makes I, sense. I don't know, yeah. I don't know if it, it was clear to you. Put that in the post. <laughs> thank you so much, Foti. And Ara, absolutely wonderful to have you. Everything you you you're very well spoken. The, the 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 educator aspect is so well received because you just made it sound so very nice and simple, and and we appreciate that. No problem. Glad to be here. Thank, Thank you, guys. you, everyone. Thank you, everybody, right. for Thank joining you. us. And we'll see you soon. Stay tuned. We got more great uh, episodes coming up. Just follow us on urbanwineclub.co and all of our handles on social media. And download the app free on the App Store and Google Play. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you, Ara. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye.